Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Last time we were together, though, we, we finished Acts 3, if you remember in Acts 3, we see Peter and John, they're going to the temple and they see a man who's been lame for 40 years and he's at the, the gate called Beautiful and uh, he's never walked in his life. And he says, hey, y'all, y'all got some change. And he says, we don't have the change you're looking for, but we do have change. Uh, we, we don't have silver and gold, but we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus. So get up and walk. And then the man got up and then, y'all, you know, he started doing the Macarena and that's what happened. He started dancing. And how many of you know that if a man had never walked before and the next time you see him, He's breakdancing, you're gonna start talking. And that's exactly what's happening. People were talking and they were asking questions and they were amazed and uh, they, they, they run inside the portico of the church, the Solomon's porch, and they start asking all these questions of, of how this happened. And they're saying things like Peter and John are special because Peter and John are the guys that perform the miracle, they have superpowers. But in Acts chapter three, verse 12, I just wanna hit one verse and then go to chapter four tells us that Peter and John thought, thought differently. Acts chapter three, verse 12, it says this, that when Peter saw it, he addressed the people and he says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as we've done this by our own power? We didn't make him walk. He's like, why are you looking at us? Why are you staring at us? You, you think we could have done this? Don't, don't focus on us. You're focusing on the wrong person. This miracle has nothing to do with us. Don't put your attention on us. Don't put your hope and trust in us. This has nothing to do with us. We're just the channel. Jesus is the source. We're the channel. And sometimes he'll find a channel. He'll just keep going through the channel so we can find one that's willing to be used. And all we are is willing vessels. And maybe that's why I came here today to talk about as we enter Acts chapter 4. Are we willing vessels? Do we want God to use us? Come on, that's, that's not a rhetorical question. Do you want God to use us? Do, do, are we willing to say, Jesus, use me. Jesus, speak through me. Jesus, work through me. Jesus, I want to make a difference. And that's the question I want to ask today is, do you want to make a difference? Do you want Jesus to use you? Am I in the right church? Do you want Jesus to use you in your workplace, in our community? with your family, wherever you go. So my question today is, do you want to make a difference? Are you sure? Okay, we're about to find out. Go with me now to Acts chapter four, verses one through four. This is continuing the conversation of Peter and John. They just healed the man. Everybody comes out to see what's going on. This is incredible. We're going to see some more people come up. Here's the people that come up, Acts chapter 4, four more groups of people come. As they were speaking, Peter and John, to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard. So the temple guard were there and the Sadducees, everybody say Sadducees, came up to them being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And here's what it says about the temple guard and the Sadducees and the captain. It says they laid hands on them. And they put them in prison until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Peter and John are preaching the gospel. 
They're being used. God's using them. And the response is, lock them up. They put them in prison. They put them in prison. So I'm going to ask the question one more time. Here's the title of my message. Would you proclaim this and ask this to your neighbor? Are you sure you want to make a difference? Are you sure you want to make a difference? Because it's going to come with a cost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. God, I believe I'm sitting in front of a group of people. God, who you've ordained for this season. God, your word declares the steps of the righteous are ordered by you. And God, so we want to take every step that you've ordained for us, even the uncomfortable ones. God, we want to make a difference in this community. Use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you sure you want to make a difference? Are you sure? That's a tough question. I believe that Peter and John and the first century Christians set out to do just that, to to make a difference, to preach Christ, to make disciples, to offer hope and to show a way out. They had a mandate to go and make disciples, and that's exactly what they began to do. They were full of the Holy Spirit, and as they become full of the Holy Spirit, they, they set out because as soon as God wants to use you, he makes you go. And that's what they do. They, they leave the upper room and they go out into the streets and the community. And God starts using them immediately. Remember, as soon as the Holy Spirit comes, Acts chapter 2 tells us that Peter begins to open his mouth and he preaches for the first time. And as he preaches for the first time, 3,000 people repent and are baptized. Y'all, the first time I preached, I preached to like 19 people. This dude didn't have a flyer. He didn't have an Instagram page. He wasn't on Twitter or TikTok. He just showed up and started doing what God asked him to do. It's amazing what happens when you just respond to what God asks you to do. He begins to speak 3,000 are saved. God is moving. How many know that 3,000 people don't give their life to Jesus and repent and are baptized on your own accord? God has to be in this and God is moving. So we see that God is moving. Right, right after this, they leave and they're going to the temple for prayer. And we see that this man that we talked about a few weeks ago, who's been uh, uh, a paralytic, he had been lame since birth for 40 years. He gets up and he's healed instantly. So God is using them. You, you think if you would start a church and when the church got started opening weekend, thousands of people show up, 3,000 get re- repent and baptized. You, you think as they're leaving the church the next day that, that all of a sudden they hear it in downtown Opelousas that somebody from our Savior's church, there was a paralytic, there was a lame person is doing miracles. You, you think it would be all over Instagram. You think all of a sudden that, man, these guys, everybody would be excited, that everybody would be on their team, that everybody would support them. But that's not what happens. It says, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And here's what it says. They laid hands on them. They, they, they physically restrained them and they put them in prison until the next day. You have to understand that the Sadducees were annoyed because Peter and John were teaching on the resurrection. Now, that's a big problem for the Sadducees. The Sadducees believed in God, but they didn't believe in the resurrection. Can you imagine not believing in the resurrection? So the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. I got, I got some more, don't worry. The, the, the Sadducees were this 
upper class sect. They, they were aristocrats who worked with the Romans. And Jesus' resurrection could mean a revolution in the Roman Empire. See, the message of Christ resurrected was hurting their sect. It was hurting their agenda. It was hurting their culture and ultimately their pocketbook. So the message that Peter and John were preaching was viewed as anti-culture and anti-Rome and not everybody liked it. What am I saying? When the gospel is preached, expect opposition. Don't expect everybody to be all happy with you. In fact, I believe if you're a true believer, if you're a true follower of Jesus, you should expect opposition and ultimately persecution. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is this, that whenever you move forward with God, your enemy wants to stop you. Whenever you make progress, whenever you make headway, whenever you make a stand, whenever you say, I'm holding my ground, I'm standing with Jesus on this issue, get ready for opposition. Get ready for them to cancel you. Get ready for them to talk about you. Get ready for them to oppose you. I don't care if it's in your marriage, with your kids, in your finances. When you take a stand for God, you better expect opposition. Because when you move forward, when you take this stand, you need to understand that you have a spiritual enemy who's put a bullseye on your back. He wants to oppose you. Now listen to me. He will use whoever whatever and anything he can to discourage you, discredit you, disappoint you, and ultimately defeat you. 1 Peter 5.8 says it this way. It says, the devil prowls around like a... Now, for the record, just notice that the lion comes from the cat family. You can see a, a tie-in between Satan and cats. I'm just showing you that. This is scripture. But it says this, I'm, I'm just teasing. Send your, send your email to Pastor Myron Guillory. He'll, he'll answer for me. But notice, notice, this, notice this text. It doesn't say that the devil is an attacking lion. It doesn't say that he's a biting lion. It doesn't say that he's a pouncing lion. All he has is a roar. Have you ever heard a roaring lion? The purpose of a roaring lion is to shut up another roaring lion. I believe that I'm looking at a bunch of roaring lions. And sometimes the enemy gets so discouraged by your roar that he will try to roar louder. And the louder roar wins. If, if you hear a lion roar, y'all, it's paralyzing. It propagates fear. And the whole purpose of a roar is simply intimidation. The truth is, whenever you take a stand for Jesus and you're doing something that God calls you to do, your spiritual enemy is going to try to intimidate you to get you to stop in your tracks. I know a lot of times here's the way we think that, okay, I took a stand for God and man, it's all good. And, you know, I, I, I believe this and now I'm vocal about it. it. You know, it should be really, you know, it should be smooth sailing now. God's got my back. That's how, you know, it should be because I'm standing for God and I'm full of the Holy Spirit and we're speaking truth and we're helping people. Nope. Throw them in jail. We, we have to expose the lie that says 
when you stand for Jesus, everything's going to go your way. I mean, you're going to get the job, you're going to get the raise, you're going to get the girl, you're going to get the parking spot. And if you face opposition, it's because you're doing something wrong. Listen to me. That is the case sometimes. But I realize this in my life. Many times we don't face opposition because we're doing something wrong. We face opposition because we're doing something right. Let me prove it to you. How how many of y'all grew up playing football? Anybody? Some of y'all? How many of you ever got tackled when you're on the sidelines? If you did, that was a bad game. You don't get tackled on the sidelines. You don't get tackled when you're drinking Gatorade. You get tackled when you're moving the ball down the field. There's no reason to waste energy tackling the guy on the end of the bench. We want to tackle the star who's making progress. So the truth is we have a real enemy that when you start making progress, when you start moving the ball down the field, he's going to tackle you. And if you're not doing anything significant for Christ, why would the enemy pay any attention to you anyway? So watch this. So Peter and John are preaching and the response is arrest them. That'll make them think twice about it. I bet they don't get up and preach tomorrow. What, what, what is that? What is that tactic called? It's, it's opposition. It's intimidation. And so in Acts chapter 4, the, the vessels that the enemy used to invoke this intimidation is the Sadducees. But how many know the enemy can use whatever he wants to intimidate you to, to bring opposition your way? He will use people. He will use culture. He will use the media. He will use political correctness. He will use cancel culture. He would even, even use circumstances in your life to try to get you to stop. How many of you understand that? I remember in 2007, we, we were living in, in Gulf Shores on the beach. It was amazing. Sand everywhere. And we felt that God was calling us to go and help plant a church in Birmingham. And so we pack up all of our stuff. We're going to take a pay cut to, to move from the beach to go to Birmingham to, to plant a church. It's a step of faith, a financial step of faith. So I'm like, okay, God, we're doing this for you. Everything's got to go our way, right? As soon as we decide to leave, the housing market crashes, doors closed, Rachel ends up in the hospital. If it could go wrong, it went wrong. And I'm like, God, what's going on? This makes absolutely no sense, but I realized that we didn't face opposition because we were doing something wrong. We faced opposition because we were doing something right. And so we had to learn how to fight the discouragement. And maybe that's what I came here today to tell us is that you're going to be discouraged. Discouragement is the weapon of the enemy in 2021. He's trying to discourage. He's trying to discredit. And and the Sadducees were thinking, if we can get John and Peter discouraged. Let, let, let's throw them in jail. Let's, let's lock them up. That'll show them. Let's discourage them. And I'm saying that because your enemy will always attempt to discourage you from when you're taking a stand for, for Christ. And I believe this. Discouragement most commonly comes in two forms. It comes in many two forms, but this is what I, I, I think. So write these two down. Write the first one down. Discouragement often comes in the form of obstacles. You, you ever faced an obstacle? It's not a shut door. It just makes it harder. Have you ever tried to take a stand for for God or for Christ and all of a sudden it seems like that some things were opposing you, that you could still do it. 
It was just going to cost you. It was going to cost you your reputation. It was going to cost you time. It was going to cost you money. They, they, they throw them in jail. Hey, that'll, that'll stop them. We'll, we'll, we'll pass a law. We'll, 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 we'll legislate something. We'll, we'll have a company policy. We're not going to make it easy. It's obstacles on every side, things that just make it harder. You listen, when you take a stand for God, you better be prepared for the obstacles. There's going to be financial obstacles. There's going to be relational obstacles, emotional obstacles. There's going to be things that you can't control. I hate those things because I like to be in control. Number two, you better be prepared for the criticism. They go start talking about you. You taking a stand for what? You're talking about what? You posting on what? What church do you go to? Y'all believe what? Man, that's old fashioned. This is 2021. That's hate speech, man. You can't be talking about stuff like that. Why do you care who other people love? Criticism. Criticism even comes from within sometimes, doesn't it? I remember I got saved. I remember when I got saved, I, I left a certain religious community that I was going to the church, but I wasn't saved. My family was so mad at me. Now, for the first time in my life, I wasn't drunk, I wasn't high, and I wasn't chasing women. But all of a sudden, that church you going to is of the devil. How many know what I'm talking about? I remember there was a couple in our church five or six years ago, man, they, they, they felt that they were supposed to foster kids. And so, man, they pray about it and uh, they're going to take the step of faith. And so they're going to sit down with their parents, the, the would-be grandparents of the kids that they fostered. Hey, we feel like this is a mandate from God and we, we want to pray, you know, we want to pray about this, but we, we feel like we want to foster some kids. And, and, and you know what the mother-in-law said? Mm-hmm. You can't even take care of them two heathens you got now. What, not, what is that? It, it's, it's just discouragement. Well-meaning intention sometimes. But it's just discouragement. It, it, it's, it's criticism. I remembered when, when Rachel and I were, 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 we were about to be married. This is almost 20 years ago. And I'm, I'm, I'm a young youth pastor. I'm going to preach a youth conference, a youth camp. And I'm invited. To, and I go to this little rally. And I preach my heart out to about 352 teenagers. And, and it, at the end of the rally, the pastor of the church walks up to me. And he says, hey, let me talk to you. I said, hey, Greg, man, what's up? Man, you speak way too fast. You're not polished enough to be a preacher. And your illustrations, you know, they don't really work in the church. And I walked away. I was like, he's right. I'm not a preacher. I can't do this. I'm going to find something else to do. I was so discouraged. I was so defeated, full of self-condemnation. I began to actually battle depression after that. Why? Because as soon as you start doing something right, your spiritual enemy will use whoever, whatever, whenever. Why? To try to derail you, which was happening in Acts chapter 4. They're in prison. But here's what I want you to see, because sometimes we get in a prison of discouragement, and it's so easy to look at the bars, and it's so easy to look at what they're saying, and it's so easy to look at what they're posting or, or what you're feeling. But watch this. They're in prison, but while they're in prison, something's still happening. They're in prison, but verse 4 says, but many of those who heard the message that they just preached to throw them in prison believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So add this to the men, women, and children from 
Acts chapter 2, and now the church is exploding, y'all. They're in prison, facing discouragement, but now the church grew to 10,000 people. Why? What am I saying? The healthier the church gets, the more the world will oppose it. So if you want a healthy church, you've got to deal with the bars of discouragement. Are you tracking with me? All of a sudden, they're in prison. And, and you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say that the Sadducees were all excited about how many people got saved. They didn't care how many people got saved. They didn't care how many people got helped. They didn't care how big the outreach was. All they knew was they didn't like the church's message because the church's message messed with their agenda. Listen to me. The world really doesn't care about our method as much as they do about our message. They don't care about how many people come to this church. They could care less. They don't care about how many people get saved. They don't care about how many lives get changed. They don't care how many people got set free in freedom this week. Why? Because the message of Christ will mess with their agenda. They don't care how many people we hurt. The, the world, that's why the world says, hey, we're okay with you saying God. You can say God all you want. Oh, thank God. But the second you say Jesus, they go berserk. Why? Because Jesus will mess up an agenda. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 4. Jesus is messing with their agenda. Hey, we're okay with you feeding the poor. Just don't push your Christianity on us. We're okay with you helping, you know, the people out there. Just don't push your values on us. Why? Because your values as Christians are going to conflict with our agenda. That's what the world does. Everybody say the world. What, what, what do I mean by, by the world? Let, let, let's define this term world just for a second. The Greek term for world is, is the Greek term uh, cosmos. We, we've heard that word cosmos and we, we think of it as what's out there, the, the expanse. This, world, this word world is used many different times in scriptures, but I, I just want to show you two conflicting concepts of this world. And I want to look at the context behind it. We, we, we know our, probably our favorite verse as Christians, John three sixteen, that uses this word cosmos, this word world. It says, for God so loved the world cosmos that he gave his only begotten son. We know that scripture. God loved the world. Now in the context of John three sixteen, the word world cosmos refers to humanity at large, that God loves humanity. The concept of humanity was God's idea. We are all his creation. God created us. Therefore he loves us. He loves humanity so much that he gave Jesus to humanity that whoever would receive the gift of Jesus would be saved and not perish. So God loves the world. But the, the word cosmos is also used in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, which says about me and you, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. So in this context of world, he's actually going to tell us what the world means. Verse 16, for all that's in the world, here it is, here's what's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So in this context, the word world or cosmos refers to the systems of a fallen evil humanity that stand in opposition to God, both secular and religious. So watch this. So in the gospel of John, John says that God so loved the world. In first John, John says, we shouldn't love the world. 
What in the world does that mean? Which one is it? It's both. God loves the fallen people of the world. He just doesn't love their ways. It's like my old pastor used to say, love the sinner, don't love the sin, boy. What, what does that mean? As believers, we should love the people in the world, but we shouldn't fall in love with the ways of the world. So God places us in the world, but we're not of it. Are you tracking with me? So the church should be in the world. He sends Peter and John and disciples out. They do no good singing kumbaya in the upper room by themselves. He sends them into the world to make them fishers of men. So the church should be in the world, not the other way around. Sometimes the world gets in the church. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It's the church in the world. Are you tracking with me? Y'all with me? Okay, here we go. So here's where it gets tricky. God places us in the midst of people that he wants us to rescue. But those people sometimes view the church as a threat. You with me? God places Peter and John in front of people to preach a gospel that would mess with their interests and agendas. The Sadducees were religious, but they were worldly in the sense that they stood in opposition to God. They were partnering with the Romans to protect their political interests. Why am I saying that? Because we are living in a day and age where Christianity is going to be a threat to some interest. It's going to be a threat to some political interest. It's going to be a threat to some sexual interest. It's going to be a threat to cultural interest. It's even going to be a threat to economic interest. And sometimes, this is where it gets really tough, even religious interests. Listen to me. Just because they're religious doesn't make them righteous. The Sadducees were the most religious people on the planet, but what they were doing was opposing the gospel. Let me make this very simple. Claims about God come from one of two places. Claims about God are either from above or they're from below. What am I saying? They're either from heaven or they're from hell. I know people will make many, many claims about God. And I hear them all the time. And if you don't know the word, you will take them hook, line, and sinker, and they will get you on their agenda instead of God's agenda. I hear it all the time, and it sounds so good because there's all these claims about God that are out there. And there's a reason I want to tell you some of these examples, but these are just some of the ones that I'm hearing right now. As you get on social media, as you look at the media, you hear this all the time. People will scream it to me anytime I preach a hard message and I talk about sin, people will get mad at me and they will say things like, why are you hating? We are all God's children. Not true. We are not all God's children. We are all God's creation. But the Bible says it this way to those who've received him and believed in him and repented of their sin, he gave them the right to become 
children of God. So the way that you become a child is that you're born into a family. You can't become in God's family unless you're born again into it. So people will get mad at me because I, if I say something that's truthful and they say, we're all God's children. How many of you heard that? Not true. Or I hear this one all the time. Man, God wants you to be happy. Just do you. God cares more about your holiness than he does your happiness. Happiness is all about the flesh. How many of y'all know that? I'm going to be me. I'm going to do me. I'm going to do whatever feels right. That's called hedonism. Maybe that's why scripture is full of statements like deny yourself. Crucify your flesh. You know what that means? Don't do what you want to do sometimes. Pick up your cross. I must decrease of who I am so he can increase in who he is. I hear people all the time say, well, if God's a loving God, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. Do you know that Jesus talks more about hell than he does heaven? And he's very descriptive in it. What am I saying? Y'all, hell is a real place and people who do not repent of their sins still go there. I love this one. People tell me all the time, oh, Jesus said, don't judge. Let me tell you what Jesus said. Matthew chapter seven, verse one. He says, judge not. People usually just end there. They stop. You got to keep reading because you don't get the context of the text. You're taking it out of context. Judge not lest you be judged, which means I don't have the right to judge you of a sin in your life unless I'm willing for you to look at me in the same way and said you had the same sin. That's why scripture, the right after it says, it says, take the plank out of your eye and stop judging the speck in your brothers. So if, if all I do is cuss. And I, I know I heard Pastor Myron cuss, and then I go, you a cusser. I have no right to call him out on, on something that I'm dealing with myself unless I give him the same permission. That's what that scripture means. We are called throughout scripture to judge. Why am I telling you all this? Because there's all these claims about God that just aren't truth. Jesus came from heaven to earth to teach and preach the truth. By the way, he is the truth. He's, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But what happened in Acts chapter 4 is some people got so set in their ways that they couldn't handle the truth, so they crucified him. That's what, that's what Peter and John are about to tell these. And so after Jesus departed, the world could no longer go after Jesus when he spoke truth. So now they're going to go after the people who are carrying on the truth, Jesus' followers. Are you tracking with me? So these men were filled with the spirit from above. They're speaking a message from above and they confronted the systems that were below and they started being persecuted for it. Now, thankfully in America, in the West, we don't really know about this word persecution yet. Not in America, at least. But if you go to China, it's happening. Do you know that all Christian churches in China are closed? They had to start house churches, like underground, like secret meetings. And then as the authorities find out about those secret meetings, they will raid the houses, take all their Bibles, confiscate any Christian paraphernalia, 
And in some cases, they burn the houses down. Pastors have been handcuffed and taken to jail in the middle of preaching a service. Christians arrested, interrogated, in prison. Crosses removed from China. It's illegal to own a Bible. That's persecution. In America, we get our feelings hurt if they talk about us on Facebook. In China, they burn their house down and throw them in jail. Persecution. Now, persecution isn't here yet, but it's coming. It's cyclical. It's going to come. As much as the word, as much as the Christianity begins to oppose the world value systems, the more prevalent you're going to see persecution Come. I don't know if it's in five years. I don't know if it's in 10 years. I don't know if it's in 20 years. I don't know, but it's coming. The writing is on the wall. Peter and John preached a message that was at odds with the way of the world. Persecution. By the way, as we unpack the book of Acts, you're going to see 28 chapters. There's persecution, beatings, tortures. People became martyrs for the gospel, died for this thing. Persecution. So Peter and John, though, they stand up. Because they're going to trial. They're going to go to trial. They're going to stand before the Jewish leaders. And the experts in the law are going to give an account for their actions. Can you imagine? We go to the courthouse, St. Landry Parish Courthouse. Can you imagine? Uh, prisoner one, number one, what are you here for? Uh, armed robbery. Prisoner number two, what are you here for? Murder. Number three, what are you here for? Preaching. We laugh at it. Coming to a town near you. Look what they said. Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, this is the prosecutors, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, I, I, I like that it reminds us what he was filled with. He wasn't filled with fear. He wasn't filled with discouragement. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means does this man be healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. In reality, Mr. Prosecutor, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting the Son of Man. You're rejecting God himself. You're rejecting Jesus, the Messiah. The reason why you arrested us, the reason why you're persecuting us, the reason why you're interrogating us has nothing to do with us. It has the fact that you haven't come to grips with who Jesus is. Your problem isn't with me, it's with Jesus. And he says, in fact, let me tell you about this Jesus. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name in heaven. Everybody say heaven. Heaven. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, when we trust in the name of Jesus, when we preach in the name of Jesus, heaven from above breaks down into our world below. And if there's anything that our world needs now, it's not a touch from below. We need a touch of heaven. We need a touch from heaven, don't we? You know what? Your, your, your marriage doesn't need a touch from below. Your marriage needs a touch from heaven. America needs a touch from heaven. 
Appaloosus needs a touch from heaven. St. Landry Parish needs a touch from heaven. We need Jesus. That's it. That is the answer to everything. We need Jesus. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, whoever's next, ain't going to fix the problems in this country. We need a touch from heaven, not the White House. And here's the problem. The one who can touch us is the one they reject. The one rejected by the world is the only one who can bring hope to it. And here's the crazy part. God's plan to bring hope to a world that rejects them is through us. That is crazy. Like, God, don't you have a better plan? I'm closing. I'm closing. One last verse. Because something changes. The guy persecuting him doesn't say, yep, you're right. Our CSIs missed it. We missed the evidence. You're right. It doesn't say that. He noticed something. The prosecution noticed something. Here's what they noticed. When they saw, put it up, verse 13, the courage of Peter and John. And they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. Here's the prosecution. They were astonished. My, my, my. And they took note. These men been with Jesus. When they, write this down, write this first one. When they saw the courage, write that word down, courage. Courage. I think that it's time that our community looks at us and they see the courage of the people of O-Town. In a world of discouragement, the church should be full of courage. We should be the most courageous people on the planet. And this idea of a passionless, chilled out, vanilla, playing it safe Christianity has got to go. This is not the time to play it safe. This is not the time to be lukewarm. This is not the time to be vanilla. This is not the time to look like the world. This is not the time to, to fit in. We ain't no wussies, y'all. We are some courageous people. We are full of courage. And if you ever forget that, it's a command of God. Be courageous. Fear not. Take courage. It's a command, not a recommendation. Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and, and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go in Opelousas. First Chronicles 28, 20. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Why? For the Lord my God, my God is with you. Second Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. What am I saying? I'm saying that as I look out this morning, I'm looking at some courageous people this morning. I'm looking at some men and some women that are bold. I'm looking at some people that know that was at stake. You are courageous. You are brave. You are audacious. You are gutsy. You are resolute. You are bold. You are lion-hearted. You are rock-ribbed. There are men and women in this room who will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate in the table of the enemy, ponder in the pool of popularity, or meander
stand in the maze of mediocrity. Why? Because you are courageous, Opelousas. You are courageous. You are full of courage. You are brave. We are going to do the work because he has filled us with courage. The first thing they notice about Peter and John is, man, these boys got some courage. The second thing they notice is, and I feel so much better about myself on this one. They were unschooled, ordinary men. They didn't have any rabbinical teaching. They, 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 they weren't clergy. They didn't go to seminary. They weren't theological experts. They were ordinary men. Y'all know what Peter's job was? Peter was a... Yeah, if he lived in St. Landry Parish, you know what that means? He would have been running crawfish traps. Who's the boldest guy, you know? Oh, T-boy that runs a crawfish traps. Watch out, that boy can preach. God changed the world through some ordinary people. They work at Walmart. They work in St. Landry Parish schools. They work at the distribution center. They work at Billy's. Come on, give it up for people that work at Billy's. What am I saying? God changes the world through ordinary people. We wait many times. Let the pastor do it. He wants to use you, boo. If you and ordinary people say, hey, there we go. Most importantly, write this down. I'm closing with this. Vic, help me out. Number three, they've been with So in reality, they really were schooled. Not just the way the Jews thought they should be educated. What school you went to? Oh, I went to the Academy of Jesus. Would y'all take like math? Nah. He did multiply some fish and bread though. You take biology? No, nah, but there was this one time he touched a woman with the issue of blood and it dried up like that. When you walk with Jesus, you get credentials that you don't deserve. Why? Because they had an education from above. You don't have to go to seminary or cemetery to be used by God. All you have to do is be a courageous, ordinary person who walks with Jesus. So here it is. Do you know how God is going to change the world? Mm -hmm. You know how he's going to change Opelousas? He's going to take a bunch of ordinary, good old folks who are full of courage, who've been walking with Jesus, and send them back into their workplace with so much courage that they say, I don't care what you do to me, because the same love that my God had for the world, I have for you. 
So I so love the world too. And God's sending me back into it, to the world that he delivered me from to go and change them. So my question is, do you still want to make a difference? Then God wants to use you. That's what Acts is all about. It's about leaving the seat. If they never left the upper room, the book of Acts would have ended in chapter 2. We would have never got to see the lame man dance. We would have never got to see Peter's shadow heal people. There was times when you like my new preaching rag? It's got my name on it. Thank you, thank you, Brian. There was times when handkerchiefs were healing people. Some think it was their boogers, but it's not. I'm sorry. Dad joke. It's not. We would have never got to see any of that. And if we don't take it from here, this is the upper room. If we don't take it from here and go back into the world that God is loves, God loves the world, and he sends us into it, then maybe we're missing out on some of that too. So we want to give you some opportunities. Man, our team has been working so hard. We're, we're going to be all over our community. Why? Because we love our community. Sometimes people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And why are we doing this? So we can just clean our city? That's part of it. But it does no good for our city to be cleaned if they can't hear the gospel. And so, if you want to make a difference, I'm going to give you three ways you can do this today. And it's all going to happen in a foyer. Number one, we're going to July the 10th, everybody say July the 10th, we're going to be at Opelousas Junior High, and we're going to go to the junior high school, OJ, and we're going to paint, and we're going to plant stuff, and we're going to pull stuff up, and we're going to clean, and we're going to get calloused and dirty. Why? Because we love our community. Number two, there's opportunities for you to serve here just to take a stand. I want to make a difference. For some of you, it's going to be with our kids in the nursery, our children's church, our parking team, our greeters, our ushers. By the way, this is all out, out, outside. I want every one of you that wants to make a difference. If, if you want to sign up for July the 10th and go with us to uh, OJ to clean the school, we're just going to take over the school for the day. Just go to our, we have a table right here that says local missions. Just go to that. It's local missions. And say, I want to help. And they're just going to sign your name. They're going to get you all the information. Some of you can say, I want to serve in the church. You, you can pick an area. Just pick one. I, I want to serve here. I want to help there. Why? Because we believe you can make a difference. And, and then finally, I'm going to ask every single one of you to grab one of these cards. Where'd I put my card? Y'all saw it earlier, didn't you? Did I lose it? I my back pocket? Nope. 
oh, there's a gift card in there. Come on. No, I, I don't know where it is. I lost it. It's a thank you card to OPD. Write them. Thank you, John. It looks just like this. Stop by the Welcome Center. Just fill one of these out. You can write two words. Thank you. I'm praying for you. Why? Because they need courage too. All they face is discouragement. We are the church. We are the church. We don't just come here. We are the church. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? How many of you are excited about the opportunities we have? By the way, we're going to have one. Last, week was, uh, last month was South Park. July is going to be OJ. Uh, we're going to have a big event every month, forever, to, to take care of our city. Why? Because we love our city and our community. All right? Please go sign up for one of those areas on your way out. Our prayer partners will be down here. If you need prayer for anything, some of you need courage. We want to pray courage for you. Our prayer team will be up here. They just want to speak courage over you. But if not, I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for the reminder. God, we're not in this world. We're not of this world. But we're in it. You've placed it in it for a reason. To speak truth, to speak life, to make a difference. And God, we want to make a difference. Use us. No matter what, I pray a blessing of every person's place. You go before us, you guide us, you guard us, and you keep us. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you receive that, say amen one last time.